They say you can learn a lot from a person by how they live. By watching their actions and reactions, how they respond in the moment, what they do in the face of opposition. And if this person is worthy of imitation, worthy of becoming like, worthy of taking our cues, the only way then is to get to know them by following their directions and by listening to their instructions. And if we want to be just like Jesus, we need to get to know him too. We need to read how he responded in the moment, what he did in the face of opposition, how he lived, how he spoke, his actions and reactions. You want to be just like Jesus? Follow him. Ask Bradley Kate and Trent to help me out with an um, illustration today. So they're going to come up here real quick and help me. And Reed, can you help too? Can you help me with this? You don't have to do anything. Just hold this. Help me hold this. I scared him for a second, I think. All right, so this is pretty simple, but I thought it would be good to get uh, siblings here. Come up here at the front so they can see you guys. You're actually really cute, both of you guys. Look at, look at y'all. So, all right. So we're highlighting kids today, so we've got we to gotta highlight you guys. All right, um, so um, is there any kind of like competition ever between the two of y'all? Uh, I think your sister laughed like, yes. Do you know what competition means? Maybe. All right. So there is, I bet. All right. So who do you think, which one of you thinks can, you think can jump the highest? You think you can? All right. You think, oh, you've already conceded to the fact you're going to lose this composition. All right. All right. So let's try this. All right. So Reed, help me out for a second. Stand over here. And we're going to set the bar here. And sorry, I'm going to block some of y'all. Lower it down a little bit lower. All right. See if you can jump that, BK. All right. Good job. All right. Trent. All right. Good job. All right. Let's go a little higher. All right, hold on down a little bit. All right, BK. Good. All right, nice. All right, good. All right. All right, BK, you ready for this one? Trent, Trent, you want to show us? Nice. Oh, wow. Wow. So you feel pretty good about being able to, to beat your sister? You're not sure? She's a girl. Uh-oh. Maybe we should have a girl come up here who can jump higher than you, right? So they, they're both, uh, you know, pretty, pretty good at jumping, but let's, let's set, uh, Reed, hold this one here. Let's set this a little bit higher here, all right, Trent? All right, go ahead. You want to try it? You want to give that a shot? Did you know the uh, world record is, did you know the world record is eight feet, a little bit over eight feet? So let's hold this thing up to eight feet, all right? All right, it's about probably eight feet. What, what about that? Can you get that? You can't get that. Not even when to try it, huh? All right, so, so compared to BK, hold on, come here, Trent, right here by me. Um, compared to BK, you can jump higher, right? But compared to this mark up here, does it really matter that you can jump a little bit higher than her? Because neither one of you can get anywhere near this, right? No, not at all. All right, so that's, that's the point, I think, of Jesus, what he's going to tell us today in our text, is that we can look and compare and we can see in others maybe the way that we can have some merit, some, uh, something to bring that we can feel good about. But when we compare ourselves to the incredibly high, hold this up as high as you can, a lot higher than me, you got to take it by yourself here. Uh, when, you, when you hold it up to God's incredible standard, which is obviously way more than that, way beyond anything that we could ever measure up to reach, then it kind of should leave us all kind of sitting here going, uh, can't do it, you know, impossible, there's no way. 
Because with all, you know, with, with proper training and proper effort, I almost would guess everybody in this building could jump here. A lot of you could jump here. Maybe even with enough work, you could get to here. But when you hold the standard up high beyond the world record, beyond anything else, then we all sit here and go, well, that's just, it's impossible. It's not, I'm not capable of doing that. And that's the point that Jesus wants to get across today. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Give them a hand. That's the point that Jesus wants to get across today. And I had this illustration in my notes uh, early in the week, but on my devotional that I read uh, every day during the week, uh, I think it was the Fridays, New Morning Mercies, he said this exact same thing, but he said it so well, even alluding to this illustration I just gave. And I want to read this uh, for you, and it'll be on the screen. There is simply nothing that you can do to gain God's favor. Do you know that? There's nothing you can do to gain God's favor. You have to accept and remember it. You will never be righteous enough for long enough to satisfy God's holy requirements. Your thoughts will never be pure enough. Your desires will never be holy enough. Your words will never be clean enough. Your choices and actions will never be God-honoring enough. The bar is too high for you and me to reach it. And I tell you that to tell you the good news is that Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And unfortunately, in religious circles and churches today, even maybe across our city, people walk out with the, with the mindset is, I've got to do better. I've got to work harder. And then God will be more satisfied with me. He'll be happier with me. And that's the lie that Satan wants us to believe is the gospel. And so Jesus, in this text today, he gives us a very simple illustration, literally a childlike illustration. And I want us to realize that while we may have a grasp on the gospel, how we get to Jesus, I think Jesus is also showing us the same way that we come to him is the same way that we live our lives. And that may be the sticking point for a lot of you this morning. So let's read this, Mark 10, 13 through 16, just four verses today, 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray and we'll look at this passage. Father God, we thank you for the word of God, scripture that you've given to us so that we can know how to relate to you, to show us our need, to show us that we don't measure up, and to show us why Jesus came. And Father God, for anyone in here today who has a works earning merit mindset that think that they can maybe possibly get enough done or at least compare themselves to somebody else and feel better about themselves so that you'll accept them at the end of this life. God, I pray that you'll use the simple illustration that Jesus gives us today with a child to remind us that it's impossible on anything that we do to measure up to your high standard. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, verse 13 says, they, the parents, were bringing the children to Jesus. Now, if you were here last week, 
And the week before, we talked about marriage. We talked about how that God esteems marriage is how he values marriage to become one flesh. I don't think it's any accident that Jesus now begins to deal with this children and, and begins to interact with kids. And I think as Mark put these together, there was some supernatural given ability to do this in a way that makes complete sense. Why? Because who is hurt the most in divorce? It's the kids. It's, it's the children that are affected the greatest. They're the greatest sufferers in a divorce. And so Jesus shifts from marriage now to children. And during this time period, this may sound extremely hard to believe, but during this time period, um, children were not um, valued in a lot of cases. Now, in, in Jewish culture, you see parents bringing their children to Jesus for blessing. But you remember Mark, what was the audience of Mark? Mark was to a Roman culture. It was probably the book was going to Rome, to the Gentile believers uh, in Rome. And during this time period, children were either loved and esteemed by a family or they were rejected completely by a family based upon whether they were of value to the family or not. It kind of reminds us a little bit of abortion today, right? We just discard somebody who's inconvenient to us or is, is no purpose for us, no value to us. And that was going on during this time period, the fact that a child was born, they could just easily and, and discard this child if the child was no benefit to them. In fact, this is an actual piece of papyrus I found as I was doing my study. An actual existed, this comes from the first century and this is a man who's away from his family, writing back to his wife. And I just want to read what I highlighted there. He instructs his expectant wife. He says, if it was a male child, if it is a male child, let it live. If it was a female, cast it out. Just get, get rid of the child. Because why? The predicament they were in, the child was no value for them whatsoever. And so the man says, a, a female will just be more baggage for us and our family trying to survive and make ends meet. So there's, it's no benefit. So just get rid of the child. And so in this Greco-Roman culture, in this world, you could actually just abandon your child at birth. It was called exposure. And you could abandon this child. And sometimes, sadly, these, even these child, children would be picked up and then exploited and so they might be sold into slavery. Uh, some would actually be disfigured so they could get, get more money begging on the streets. And some were sold into prostitution. Some became gladiators. And so during this time period, it, it was terrible. It was an awful culture for, uh, as far as the value of children. And you would be hard-pressed to find any ancient literature concerned with children compared to what we see with Jesus today. It just didn't exist. Children were not valued. And so the fact that we have Jesus here, the children coming to him, and he, he's touching them, and its expression refers to a practice that goes way back in, in Judaism. And it was this idea of Jesus coming and blessing them, laying hands on them. And it's stated back to Isaiah and, or Isaac and, and Jacob back in early Old Testament times. And so these children were being brought by the parents as parents would bring children to rabbis during that time for blessings they were bringing to Jesus. And what happens, verse 13, the disciples, as usual, they're confused, they don't get it, and they rebuke these parents for bringing their, their children to Jesus. Maybe their intentions were good. Maybe they're trying to protect Jesus, give him rest. We've seen that in the Gospels before. Maybe their motivation is something that, you know, Jesus is too busy for you. He's too busy for this. But the, the truth is, 
that this was not Jesus' viewpoint at all. And I'm sure the disciples, while they may have thought they had good intentions, they were abusing their authority because they thought that anybody who was outside of their inner circle really was to be regarded as unimportant or not as important as them. So as much as the disciples have been with Jesus, over the time they still don't get this stuff. They just don't get it. And look what Jesus' reaction to the disciples is. The word is indignant. He's extremely displeased with them. It's, it's an emotional word. It's, he's, he's emotionally upset, and he became in, irritated with them. And he said, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. So Jesus uses his opportunity to not only teach, to, to bless these children, but also to teach the disciples uh, some, some more training they need to understand if they're going to carry on his work and his ministry. And that the fact that these people who have very little value to society matter to Jesus. These ones who have no social standing, they matter to Jesus. Why? Because he says, for, for, to such, like these kids, for such is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus deliberately points out and chooses little children. And these were probably infants. Luke says they were infants and they were small children. And he says, these, these kids, he, he uses this as a chance to illuminate the disciples' understanding about what his kingdom is, what his kingdom is not, and how one would enter the kingdom. And he drives this point home in verse 15 by noting that only those who receive the kingdom, like a little child, will enter it. Let's read that again, verse 15. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So he says his kingdom must be received like a child or you won't enter the kingdom. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, we need to step back and early on in this series, we're in week 40 of Mark, and early on we talked a little bit about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. We talked about this idea because this is a theme that runs prominently throughout the Gospels. And in fact, for most Christians today, if you ask them, what is the kingdom of God? Most Christians would say, well, it's heaven. It's heaven. Well, it, it's so much more than that. Even the video we were watching in Life Prep U this morning, when I was kind of chuckled because uh, of what I was going to be talking about today because Francis Chan's wife, Lisa, kind of alluded to the fact that Jesus is going to return and then we're all going to go up, up and be with, with God in heaven. And that's probably not the case. And let me explain that to you. So the kingdom of heaven, there's two realms to God's kingdom. There's a physical realm on earth. And what is that about? Luke 11.20, Jesus said this. He said, But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Do you get that? He's saying, here, as I'm doing these supernatural works, and I'm doing these amazing miracles, the kingdom of God is coming to you. And so the kingdom of God, this is one of these great, great promises of the Old Testament that runs throughout the Bible. And the Messiah, God's promise agent, would rule and restore the dominance of righteousness on earth. The kingdom would come. The, the sovereign king, God, would rule over the earth. And any time that his rule was prominent and unquestioned, then his kingdom was coming. And in the first century, Jesus, the king, he was physically present. He was displaying his kingly power and authority 
So at some level, the kingdom had arrived. So stay with me here because this is, is important to understand as we read the gospel. So when Jesus displayed his power and authority as a king, the kingdom at some level was arriving. This is not saying that everything it promised with the kingdom of God was arriving, but the kingdom was breaking in, so to speak. And so the coming of Jesus established the presence of righteousness on the earth and also not just through his actions, but through the formation of a people who would be his own people to continue to bring heaven to earth. And so I said there was two realms. You have the physical realm on earth. Jesus was there physically present. And then you also have a spiritual realm of the kingdom. John nineteen thirty six. It's going to be on the screen if you'd like to follow along. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered to the Jews. But he says, my kingdom is not from this world. And so Jesus was making the point to Pontius Pilate, who was a Roman governor. He was making the point. He, he, he said, hey, if, if this was about me taking over for power, I could do so. But that's not about me taking your throne. You see, the kingdom is not about power grabbing. It's not about violence and, and, and taking over by force. It's not about the policies and politics of this world. Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and justice. So Jesus taught us, did he not, to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, in the, in the model prayer that he gave us to pray, he said what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God's kingdom exists in the hearts of his followers where he is the undisputed king and sovereign Lord. And then as a people, the church, he left us to make the invisible kingdom visible until the king returns. So we, who have Jesus as Lord in our hearts, not just in theory, but Jesus should be ruling, and we should say, as we walk out the house every day, may your kingdom come, may your will be done through my life today. And we take and we make God's invisible kingdom, his spiritual kingdom, visible through our love of bringing justice and love and, and joy through the gospel to people. Do you do that? Is that on your mindset as you enter the world each day? It's not always on my mind. It should be. Jesus said, pray it. This is how you should pray. I love what Douglas Wilson writes about this. He says, as the church, we are establishing the colonies of heaven here now. When we die, we get the privilege of visiting the heavenly motherland, which is quite different than moving there permanently. After this brief visit, the Lord brings us all back here for the final and great transformation of the colonists and the colonies. And so make no mistake, while Jesus' kingdom is alive and well in our hearts in a spiritual kingdom, Jesus will be returning one day and establishing a permanent physical kingdom that will last forever and ever. Romans, I'm sorry, Revelation 20.12.2 says, And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
See, John sees ahead a day when Jesus returns and a new Jerusalem comes to earth. And Jesus will rule from this new Jerusalem forever and ever. Heaven will come to earth. The Lord's prayer will be answered, will it not? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so think about this. God delays his judgment in the fullness of his kingdom to give people the opportunity to receive it. We can receive God's kingdom. We can be ambassador for his kingdom where people can reject his rule. And while God is, we know, the sovereign king over all things, this quandary sometimes that we struggle with in Scripture is, if God is sovereign, then why can we choose sin? Why can we reject him? And while God does work all things for his glory, we know that in some way, shape, or form, he gives us a responsibility and make choices in this matter. But one day, when heaven comes to earth, his rule and reign will be unquestioned. And his kingdom citizens will find joy and there will be no evil, no sin. Tears will be wiped away. The curse will be removed. And we will rule and reign with Jesus forever and ever. That's awesome news. And so when Jesus says, you want to be part of this kingdom? Become like a child. That's how you become a citizen in my kingdom. Like a child. Those who receive it, verse 15, must receive it like a child. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So what is Jesus getting at here? What does it mean? How do we receive this kingdom like a child? Well, I've had four kids of my own. And I can assure you there's many qualities about a child that doesn't naturally allow them to enter the kingdom of God, right? I mean, some people want to say, oh, children, they have so many of these great virtues. Well, children come out of the womb extremely demanding, do they not? And I don't think that's one of the qualities Jesus is saying here. He's saying demanding, all right? Be like a child and be demanding. Demand your own way. Jesus is not getting at that. Some people say children are, are just, they're innocent. Some say there's this purity about them. There's an eagerness. There's this, this trust. They just, they just believe, you know, without questioning. So what is Jesus getting at? I don't think that Jesus is focusing upon any virtue that the child possesses. I don't. I don't think it's about their virtues. I don't think it's about what they possessed. Get this. I think it's about what they lack. It's not about what they possess. It's about what they lack. You see, if it was the virtues that Jesus was highlighting here, let's think about his inner circle. Let's think about his 12 disciples. They're slow they're disbelieving, they're cowards, they're full of pride, they're all about their status, their prominence. And so they were part of Jesus' circle, they were part of the kingdom. And so clearly Jesus isn't saying the virtues of a child, the things that I read were the qualities because the disciples were definitely out if that's the case, right? So Jesus is getting at something more here. And they think what he's getting at, what do young children And what do the disciples have in common with one another? Here's what they had in common. Powerless, small, they weren't sophisticated, they were overlooked, and the outcast of society. That's what children and the disciples would have in common with one another. 
And it reminds me of what Paul said, right? God didn't choose you because of your status and your greatness. God chose the foolish things of the world to profound the wise, to bring them to shame. God chose those who knew, I can't measure up. That's way too high. There's no way. There's no way. You're way beyond my ability to achieve you, God. And God says, you're starting to get what the kingdom is all about. So what Jesus is getting at is for one to receive the kingdom of God as a child is to receive it as one who is helpless, having absolutely nothing to offer, nothing to offer. So everything a little child possesses, right? Think about those infants that Jesus is holding in his arms. Think about those little kids. Everything that little child possesses is based upon grace. It's based upon they were graced with it, based upon their total neediness, as opposed to they've earned something or they've merited something. It's all about grace. So entrance into the kingdom is a matter of humility that recognizes the absolute and total need for God. We bring nothing but ourselves to God. I need you, Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus, because I bring nothing to the table. I'm empty-handed. So only those who receive the kingdom of heaven like a child, empty-handed, will experience the kingdom of God. And what's interesting here, Jesus is also making application to actual children. While there's a, a great parable here about entering his kingdom, it's also actual children. Look at verse 16. And he took these little children in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. You know, you want to detect pride in your life? How do you treat little children? How do you treat kids? Look at, look at Jesus. Jesus is taking these kids to himself. He, he's not just hurry them by here so I can touch them and lay my hand on them and send them through as quick as possible. He, he, he slows down. He takes them up into his arms. He spends time specifically with each one of them. He wanted to bless these kids. And these kids were benefiting from the blessing that Jesus was giving to them. He made time to spend with them individually. So I think our attitudes toward children matter. That's what Jesus is saying. It matters. His example, it matters. And so think about you. Think about our ministry. I, I thought as I was preparing this, like, what, let me, let's think about how we're doing as a ministry in regards to children. And I think about G-Kids and Awana, and I think about the incredible resources that we put into those ministries. And I think about the, the people that got up and left this room to go and teach and be with these kids. And I think we're doing pretty well at the fact that we, we really value kids here at Grace Church. I think about GCA. I think about how that our, our ministry made it a priority to offer Christian education to this community. Christ-centered education where people had options. They had choices if they want to be inundated and, and taught and discipled as they were teaching their regular math and science and those things. I also think about, you know, facilities. Nobody in this town uses their facilities like Grace Church does. Like, we're constantly using every thing on this campus 
for God and for kids. And also reminded me that Mitch has this dream. I don't know how many of you heard about it. Now that he has kind of uh, taken the lead in the children's ministry area, although as it was pointed out, Viviana led the shoebox thing, and it was a stellar year and another great indicator of how much we value kids. But has this, we really need more space. We do. We need more space for kids. We, we have rooms that are packed with how many kids? 16, 18 kids in one, one space. And, and that's just way, way too much, right? You know that, even if you don't work with kids. And so I think about, you know, we, we could definitely improve our facilities. And so kind of what we, we give money, we, we put a large amount of our budget toward our children's ministry, but I think there's room to grow there. I think about our first Sunday that we do family worship Sunday. Why do we do that? Is it just you can be annoyed by your kids and the kids around you? No, we do that intentionally so they can see you as parents singing and worshiping and putting money into the offering plate and listening to the sermon and go home and you can talk about it and recap the things that were taught and explain to them, you know, the kingdom of God, right? I mean, I'm sure that went way over anybody's head. Maybe you as an adult, you're like, what? Uh, hey, don't, you're not alone in that, okay? A lot of people struggle with this, this concept of the kingdom of God. But we, we value with family worship Sundays. Also think about, as I looked at our missions budget, did you know this, Justin, that a large percentage of our budget goes toward the Friendship House here in Donaldsonville? That we, we give, this probably, uh, besides African Bible College, I would say it's our next biggest um, receiver of our missions budget. And so we value seeing kids in this community. We value seeing kids over in Seminole County learning about Jesus Christ and learning about what he did for them. What about you in your home? I mean, we talk a lot about, you know, knowing and following Jesus in our home, city, and world. But home, how are you doing as far as leading your family at home? Are you taking intentional time to teach them and instruct them and, and, and open scripture and talk? Or is that just something that you leave to the church to do? Well, it's your responsibility as parent. And so I get, kind of gave you, a, here's the status on how I feel like Grace is doing as far as kids. But how are you doing? Because God ultimately holds you responsible for the discipleship of your kids, not Grace Church. And then I want to th- talk about for a second the fact that Jesus' bigger point here, as he used these children as an illustration about entering his kingdom, was about those who are weak and powerless and the needy and the outcast of society. Those are the people who are primed and ready to receive the message. Why? Because they have nothing else to turn to. They have nothing else to, to cling to. And, and so oftentimes, those are the people who quickly and, and, and passionately want to receive the gospel when given to them. And so I think about Phil by Night, and I, and I think about all the years that we've done Phil by Night, and our vision for Phil by Night sometimes can be lost because you've heard it and we've done it so many times, but it, it really is a Christmas party, as Roy meant to say, I think he said Christmas card, but a Christmas party for our community. It is. We, we, it reminds me of the banquet that Jesus was going to throw, and he said, I want you to go invite people. And they came back and said, you know, Jesus, you're, 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 the, the fam- family and friends, this is a parable, the family and friends, they're too busy, they got too much going on, and the, the wealthy people and the dignified people, all these people with status in the community, they're just, they're too busy, they're too busy for it. And, and Jesus says, well, my house is going to be filled for this party, all right? So go out in the highways and byways and compel everybody to come in. And that's the vision for Philbot Night is we want to just invite people to our house, invite people to this campus, 
and just pour out the love, as Roy said. And we, we have to have soup to give them. We have to have cookies to, to just give them as many as they want to grab hold of and make it a night of festivity and, more importantly, a reminder about what Christmas is all about and a clear presentation of the gospel. That's why we do fill by night. So let's go back to the point for us, and we'll finish with this. When you came to Jesus, and you've heard me say this before, for salvation, if you're a believer in here, you came with the mindset we've been talking about more than likely. Most of you in here heard a clear presentation of the gospel which said, you can't do it. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it through your efforts. It's not God going to put your good works and bad works and, you know, and which ones measures up the most and is the strongest, and then you get in based upon that. You knew that wasn't the case. You knew it was all Jesus. And you maybe literally fell down. Your heart, maybe in your mind, you said, I can't do it, Jesus. I, I, I can't do it, God. I can't measure up to your holiness and your greatness. I need a Savior. I need a Savior. And you put your faith and trust in Jesus wholeheartedly because you knew you couldn't do it. Do you realize that that's not just the way that you get in to the kingdom? That's the same way that you live out the Christian life. The gospel is the same for the believer and the non-believer. It says, there's nothing I can do today to earn your favor, God. It's all Jesus. There's no amount of good works I can bring to the table today to be righteous enough today, God, because I see where you're at, and I see even on my best day, I'm down here. It's all about Jesus today. If your kingdom's going to come and your will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's got to be all you working through me. And you see the same attitude that permeates us when we came to Christ is the same way that we live the Christian life. That if you don't show up today, Jesus, I'll accomplish nothing today for your kingdom purposes. I will grab my bag and head out the door and do my stuff. And I may be pretty successful based on the agenda I want to accomplish, but I will walk by every opportunity to allow God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven because I'm very me-focused, self-focused, agenda-focused versus focused upon his kingdom coming in my life and around me today. And I know we've, we've, we said before that, you know, the Bible doesn't say you have to spend your time with him in the morning. Sometimes it says evening, sometimes it says mornings. But I'm telling you, if you can spend some quality time each morning before you head out the door, it will help you get your mind better set on your purpose for this world and why God has you here. And it will give you that childlike attitude that says, I need to depend upon you today because I'm helpless. Yes, I can close that deal, but you know what? That guy won't see Jesus in that. I can give that employee their paycheck, but they're not going to see that all good gifts come from God. I can reprimand that employee, but they're not going to see grace that flows with even having to make a bad decision and a tough decision. You see, the kingdom mindset changes when we say, God, I'm desperate for you. I'm desperate for you to show up. 
I have nothing to offer. I'm helpless. I'm like a child. So maybe growing up in this regard is the worst thing possible. Because when we become grown-ups, maybe we grow out of our need for Jesus. Where are you at? I think about a little kid walking with his mom or dad, small little guy. And he reaches up his hand and he grabs hold of his parent's hand and, and and it's almost like his parent, if he's walking in a hurry, almost like pulls him along. And he, he keeps that hand clasped in there together so he stays close. And his parent sets the pace and leads. And that's maybe a good visual for you this week. Is God the one that's setting the pace? Is he the one that you're clinging to helplessly, knowing that if you let go, it's going to be a disaster and you're going to be lost? Or are you reaching up saying, God, I'm going to cling to you to see your will come not for your salvation to see your will come in my life and i'm going to keep step with you god and what you're doing not what i want let's pray father god we thank you so much for your word and just the simple truth of a child and how that you can take such a uh, just a common experience that many of us would not think anything about and you can take it and Show us the value of kids, the value of the powerless and the needy and those in our society who are cast out and looked at as not worthy. And you can teach us so much about the gospel through this, this simple little illustration of taking children up into your arms. And God, may this stay with us this week that we will seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And you'll take care of all that other stuff that we tend to focus on. You'll meet our needs. You promised that. And God, I pray this week we will make a difference and bring your kingdom. God, for anyone here who has bought into the lie that their, their salvation is about their merit, their earning, they're doing enough good things, God, I pray you'll help them to humble themselves like a child and come to you today empty-handed, desperate, and broken because in that, you receive them. In Jesus' name, amen.